Hello, g'day, and welcome to Party in China Series 2, Episode 23, aka Party in Japan. This is our 48th installment, but the very first one to be fact-checked. I asked my son Dan to look it over as he lived in Kyoto and worked in Osaka, so he knows the place much better than I do. Also, he wasn't drunk much of the time. I was. Even though the cubicle was too small for me, I took a long shower. It had to be long to wash away the trauma of my close encounter with a stranger's genitals. Then I dried and dressed and left the businessman's hotel, pausing in the lobby to put my boots on. The night before, I'd tried to enter the hotel without removing them, and the receptionist had chased me, yelling, Shoo! Shoo! Like I was a bee in her car. The morning was crisp and clear, and the sky was blue. That probably sounds obvious to you, but I'd been in China, where blue skies were as rare as blue eyes. Crossing one of the pretty bridges over the Dotonobori River, I recognised it from my late night wandering, when a vampire with a plastic samurai sword had terrified a trio of girls, dressed as cute animals, with the Halloween edition of face paint blood dripping from their eyes. They couldn't have screamed any louder if he'd had a real sword or been a real vampire. I'd been unable to access the Wi-Fi in my capsule, so went looking for a cafe and found Tully's Barista Brew. Not great coffee, but better than anything I'd had in China, except for at the Panda Sanctuary. I accessed the web to locate the Chinese consulate and once again memorised the route. Once again, I got lost. Once again, I didn't really mind. I was in a new city, in a new country, I had nothing but new things to see. I was happy. But around 90 minutes into a half hour walk, I began to worry about the visa place closing for lunch. So found a foreigner in another coffee shop. Just go down here until you see a heap of cups, he said. Retracing my steps, I saw a policeman holding a long stick, the kind I associate with kendo. A block later, I saw another with a similar staff. Half a block down, I saw two more, with two more overgrown truncheons. Was four a heap? There were lots of protests about China claiming most of the South China Sea, mainly because it has the word China in it. But on this day, these two coppers were observing or perhaps guarding a dozen or so cross-legged protesters who were meditating and chanting. The police were bored, so welcomed my distraction. One pointed to a building about 25 metres away and said, Brown! It was Brown! But so were most of the others. At that Brown building, I saw what looked like a travel agency or maybe a tourist information place. Compared to the Hong Kong and Sydney Chinese consulates, there were no crowds, no queues, no pushing, no obvious security. So I kept walking. 
after walking all the way around the block past many, many more Rosses, I went in for a closer look and found a small metal sign that said Visa. So I took a number and it buzzed up straight away. Ooh. The clerk was helpful and seemed sad that I had several paperwork problems. The wrong form, for instance, but she gave me the right one. No photocopies. But there was a coin-operated machine in the corner. And I needed two passport-sized photographs. Bloody weird shears! I cursed. She looked confused, but pointed out a convenience kiosk across the road. I thought she was sending me there to get change for the photocopier, which I did. But the old lady also held up a Polaroid camera and coming around the counter stood me up against the wall where a large white square had been painted at head height. But not my head height. So I half squatted, smiled, was told not to smile and soon had four photos. Twenty minutes later, I was walking out of the consulate with a receipt for 7,000 yen and a voucher to pick up my passport with new working visa the next morning. For some reason, they'd also kept my driver's license. So if I was killed in an earthquake, I pitied the rescue workers trying to ID the huge, hairy corpse. Awazar underground station was close by, but Earlier that morning, I'd chosen to walk because you can't see anything interesting when you're down in a tunnel. Now, however, the first thing I did see down in that station was a map, clearly marking in English the way to the consulate. A railway attendant, rather than avoiding eye contact with the large stranger arguing with a wall map, came over and without any English at all, not a word, successfully showed me how to buy a ticket to Kyoto from a vending machine and where I needed to change trains twice. All this courtesy and efficiency was a bit confronting, as was the bowing. I'm basically egalitarian. I don't want anybody to bow to me and I don't want to bow to anybody else. But I don't want to be rude to people either. Well, sometimes I do. One of my train changes involved a fairly long walk through a subway full of retail stores. And as soon as I spotted a McDonald's, I realized I was starving. The experience was identical to an Australian McD's, except everybody was smiling and bowing. Then I left and turned a corner to find dozens of great looking eateries full of tempting Japanese treats which I was now too full to try. Duh. Beginner's error. I arrived in Kyoto's modern and massive station much earlier than I'd expected, so had plenty of time to explore before calling Dan. Wandering the clean and crowded streets, I saw more Westerners in 30 minutes than I had in 30 days in China. Two of those Westerners were beautiful redheads walking arm in arm. I am congenitally attracted to long red hair, and this unexpected vision so flooded my brain with serotonin that it approached a spiritual experience. I may have moaned in quiet ecstasy. They probably thought I was a creepy old git. 
Another unexpected sight was the number of women in traditional dress. The kimono, obi, hair tied up and adorned with flowers. The whole sashimi, to coin a phrase. They weren't geishas or anything, they were just going about their daily duties. Kyoto is seen as a quaint and gentle place by other Japanese. As I'd used all my change on the consulate photocopier, I figured I had to break a few notes to be able to use a public telephone and call my son. So I bought several bottles of water. Haha, <laughs> just kidding. No, I went on a pub crawl around several blocks surrounding the station until I felt that my pockets jingled enough. The first place sold only Asahi, the local brew. Tasteless, but served so cold it didn't bother me until I'd almost finished it. Most other bars serve things like Heineken or Carlsberg, but I was excited when I saw a Belgian beer called Creek, then dismayed when I tasted it and remembered it was made from cherries. Blech. When I finally braved the Japanese public telecommunication system, I discovered that I should have bought a phone card and made the call as soon as I'd arrived. But it meant no never mind. Dan couldn't have left work earlier anyway, whereas now he was able to nick out for a short while, so we were very happily reunited and caught a bus to his and his new bride Yuki's apartment in Shimogiyoku on a large thoroughfare called Horikawa Dori. It was a smart, modern flat, small by our standards, but with two bedrooms, a balcony and a study which was more of an alcove with a sliding door. The toilet was a thing of wonder, with all sorts of controls for temperature, waterworks, music, sound effects. Going from Chinese bathrooms to Japanese, was like going from Captain Cook's ship to Captain Kirk's. Dan had to get back to work far too soon for me, but I walked off my disappointment with random perambulations, finding a charming city of wide roads and winding alleyways, chrome and glass commercial buildings and traditional wooden homes and bars. Temples were everywhere, and when I bumped into the Imperial Palace, I remembered that Kyoto used to be the capital until the Emperor moved to Tokyo. I didn't remember that he moved in 1868, but I've just looked that up so we both know now. My meandering took me past the town hall where I hadn't gone to the wedding, the fast flowing Kamo River with shallows that were almost rapids, the Kyoto International Manga Museum, which I should have explored and the Kyoto Kaleidoscope Museum, which I tried to explore, but it was closed. I didn't go past an Irish bar called Gale, in which I was welcomed by an orange-haired barmaid with blood weeping from her eyes. So we were still celebrating Halloween then. She had unusually good English with an unusual accent because she was French-Japanese and had studied in the southern US. When I told her she spoke excellent English, she rather aggressively replied, So do you! I thereafter limited my conversation to ordering the next pint of Guinness while I waited for Dan to finish work. Spirits are very cheap in Japan, but there's a tax on hops 
to discourage foreign beer consumption, as local brews are made with malt. It failed to discourage me. About half an hour after I'd arrived, a couple of businessmen walked in. Both were mature men in dark suits, white shirts, muted ties. But one was wearing pointy Vulcan ears. Nobody seemed to notice. Ah, that's two Star Trek references in the same episode. People will think me a nerd. Another hour or so later, another businessman came in, sat at a booth, took off his suit jacket, shirt and pants, and donned a large adult diaper, a white cape and a blonde curly wig. Him, people noticed. Soon, 20 or 30 party types filled the small bar with noise and fun. When Dan found me, I was patting a dachshund in a pink dress while being lectured by some goon in a Union Jack top hat about the illegality of the International Monetary Fund, so I'd have been happy to leave immediately. But Yuki had texted him that she had to work late, so we settled in for a while. It was a loud father-son catch-up because the crowd was so boisterous, but that made it no less satisfying. When we did leave to meet Yuki, the party continued in the street. It was like a replay of the night before, except not as drunken. Either Kyotans have more sense than Osakans, or it was just too early in the night for that extreme level of inebriation. Dan had been intending to take me to an all-you-could-eat Korean restaurant, but we were too late for that now, so we met Yuki at a chicken joint and she proved a delight. She called me Potisan, which I enjoyed. We feasted on delicious chicken kebabs, chicken minced in capsicum shells, chicken meatballs with cheese. Oh, it was fabulous. The next morning, I slept in till nearly ten. Unheard of. It was wonderful to be away from that raucous rooster. But then Dan pointed out that the Chinese consulate in Osaka shut at noon on Saturdays and if I didn't get my passport with the new visa, then I'd miss my plane early Monday morning. The idea of not returning to China was tempting. But instead, we downed a quick coffee, caught a bus, then a train, then a subway, came out the wrong exit, and found ourselves still several blocks away with only a few minutes until closing time. I'd have been stuffed on my own, but Dan grabbed a cab and we just made it to the consulate as they were closing the doors. We had to bend to get under the descending anti-bomb shutter on our way out, but I was now the proud possessor of a valid working visa. Which was a bit of a disappointment actually, as being deported would have made a great ending to this story, so my anecdote gene was kicking a little in grief. It also meant that I had to decide whether to return to China, and I wasn't yet ready to make that decision. That's all for this episode of Party in China and or Japan, but as promised, it was fact-checked by my son Dan, who said, and I quote, Seems fine to me, all names are correct, etc. Several time inaccuracies, but don't let that get in the way of a good story. Quite right, I taught him well, and it goes to prove what I've always said about this podcast. 
Everything's true, it's just not accurate. I'm Party Parslow. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.